off the ball. Andy Farrell was almost giddy. Yeah. At yeah. the late. With he wants everything yeah. thrown at them as much as possible. He was like, this is per- I couldn't have planned this yes. better. This could happen. Maybe he did. Up. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. This is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. This is the Saturday panel. The focus this week is on Australian rules football. So in September, Irishman Zach Toohey and Mark O'Connor were part of a Geelong Cats side that won the AFL Premiership. And Oshin Mullen has now decided to join them in Melbourne next year. Tomorrow, it's the turn of the women. Their grand final showpiece between Brisbane Lions and Melbourne Demons. Once again, there's Irish involvement. Tipperary's Orlo Dwyer lines out for Brisbane. Melbourne have Dublin's Sinead Goldrick and Armaz Blahin Macken in their ranks to talk about the professional game down under and look ahead to this grand final. We're delighted to be joined on the line by Breach Stack, the former All-Ireland winner with Cork and current player with the Greater Western Sydney Giants. Ashleen McCarthy, a former Tipperary GA player who's now with the West Coast Eagles and Mike Curran an AFLW skills coach and coordinator. Breed, Ashley, and Mike, how are we all doing today? Good, how are you keeping, Jen? Good to see you all and speak to you all. And Ashley, we're going to start with you. This is the seventh women's final. And from all the conversations I've had over the year with Cora Staunton, for example, uh, she plays in Sydney. There's a feeling that the game is growing down there. There's more money behind us. There's more exposure. And there are opportunities now in this new professional sport. Yeah, definitely. Even um, this year alone with the new CBA, obviously there was, I think it was a 94, 98% increase in pay, which is obviously huge and just helps it with that professionalism of the game and allows you to be the elite athlete that you want to be because you have that um, backing um, with your paycheck, obviously, to be a full-time football player. So I think it's definitely brought the game to new heights and just even the young talent coming through the pathways over in Australia at the minute. They come in and they're ready-made footballers. And even just on our team alone, Ella Roberts was still in school this year doing her leave search, 17 years of age. And then um, she's going to be end up being one of the best in the competition. Just So so it's really exciting to see those um, talented girls come into the system. And um, I think it's definitely grown every year. Have you found it the last few years yourself, Ashley, leaving Ireland, setting up a base in a new country, learning a new game? Yeah, it's obviously... Um, can be a difficult transition with the physicality and just um taking on a new sport and just the mindset shift from probably being one of the worst people at training and messing up all the drills to um compared to when you're a bit more comfortable at home playing Gaelic but I think for my first few years the transition was made easier that I played for six months in Australia and I had the comfort of going home and playing Gaelic football with Tipperary which is obviously still a huge honour and then being back home with my family and friends so um now I think that isn't really that that possible. So it might make maybe the move a bit more difficult for young girls to come out on a more full-time basis. But um, I was able to kind of ease into it. And yeah, I've really enjoyed life out here in Australia, the lifestyle outside of sport, but also just the professional environment you're in and always pushing yourself to be a better athlete. So I, I am enjoying it. And I think um, the rest of the girls would say the same as well. Breed, are you enjoying it? Obviously, you achieved a huge amount with Cork. You moved your family down to Australia. You had the real misfortune of having that serious neck injury in a pre-season match before it even really got going for you in Sydney. Now it has got going. Are you enjoying it now? Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, I suppose, yeah, like um, I feel I was probably in a very, very, very privileged position and that I suppose a lot of the girls going over would definitely be a younger age category to myself. Um, So, you know, I suppose to have gotten that career with Cork and to have had, you know, huge contentment um, finishing off my career um, on my own terms in Cork and then getting this opportunity was, you know, probably something in my wildest dreams. So when you do go across, as Ashing said, like, you know, you're, I suppose the Irish mentality is definitely one to, you know, love challenging um, ourselves. And we definitely train very, very hard out in Australia and try to get the best out of ourselves. Um, so, yeah, it's it's um, you you can like you get enjoyment through improvement. Um, that's something I suppose in that first season um, while I wasn't playing, I learned a, a massive, massive amount uh, under Alan McConnell, the head coach and under the girls around me. 
Um, I suppose I started learning more about the game from the sideline, but I don't think you really get to to get get to grips with the game until you're actually playing it. And um, I suppose last year was uh, was kind of my baptism of fire at the start, trying to get used to everything um, after that injury. And obviously, confidence takes takes a big knock, but um, you know, there's there's nothing like playing it to to build confidence. And you know, I'm very very grateful now to have two seasons under my belt. And that support network is crucial, isn't it, Breed? Having that Irish community there, having people that you know to help you when you have dark days, you decide to go down there and you have a pretty nasty injury and you've got to deal with the frustration of that. You've got to do the rehab and then you just have to just be patient when you probably want to tear your hair out. Oh, that's it. And I suppose, look, I was very fortunate that, you know, I hadn't encountered a serious injury before that. Um, You know, fortunate and unfortunate. I don't know, did I um, cope as as well as I could have with it? Um, I think I threw myself head first, really, like into into rehab. And I think when you're in that professional environment, it's really, really easy to, you know, be so focused and so and so like rehab centric. Um, And then actually I found I really kind of struggled when I came home because you're out of that. Um, you're out of that environment where, you know, everything is drilled towards um, towards, I suppose, you know, the team success and, and team improvement. Um, but yeah, like it, as I said, like it's just, I, I suppose, you know, being, you know, I uh, having played with Cork for many years, I would have seen that as a very, very professional setup. But it's the, I suppose, it's the other things that come with that. Um, it's the time. I think the time is the biggest thing um, that I have found, like, um, in professional, obviously, the resources and the money that comes with it. But I think it's the time element, uh, the time that you have to improve, the time that you have to recover. And it is very much needed. Like, you definitely need that Monday, Tuesday. Ash will probably tell you the exact same thing. Like, you need that Monday, Tuesday um, to recover because, you know, it is a demanding game um, physically. And obviously, then, like, you know, the, the mental side of it there's a lot more feedback um you have so much access to coaches to facilities i i just think the time element is something that i probably you know wasn't so prepared for i think at home in ireland you're so used to full day of work and then straight into training and you kind of you really kind of fly by the seat of your pants whereas over there you probably do analyze yourself a lot more because you have the time to do so Mike, perhaps give us a sense of your background and how you came to be involved in Australian rules and being a link person for Irish players hoping to make it down under. Yeah, no problem. I suppose in, in the bigger picture, I've been involved with AFL for over 23 years here, here in Ireland, but more specifically with AFLW since the, the competition started in 2017. And across the from then to now, I suppose, across seven seasons, I've been involved in one way or another with a lot of the players that have gone over, uh, 28 players have gone over in total across seven seasons. Uh, 22 are playing this year, which was absolutely fantastic. And um, I suppose more, most recently this season, I was involved in directly in bringing all five Irish players that went over. So that included Vicky Wall, Eric O'Shea, um, Blahi Mack and Orla Lally, Anya McDonough. And, and they've all had an absolutely brilliant debut season and made a huge impact on the game. So, yeah, I suppose I'd be uh, a, a link between the um, players here at home and um, the AFLW clubs in Australia and and work across the seasons and across the close seasons to um, connect the players up with the clubs and go through the procedure of um, doing interviews and getting vision together. And then obviously I do work with the players from a coaching point of view on the, the pitch as well, the new players going over and even the likes of Breed and Ash and the other Irish girls, when they come back, I do some work here in the off season as well at home. So um, yeah, very, very happy with um, the progress of all the Irish girls and, and they're absolutely starring down under at the moment. Mike, there's been 22 Irish women contracted down under this year. You talked about Vicky Wall there. She was a star for me last year in the Gaelic uh, football scene. Can you see that number growing from 22 in the coming years? Um, yes. <laughs> yes is the short answer. There's, there's definitely going to be a, another group of players heading down um, next season. You know, I'm, I'm in Melbourne at the moment. I'm, I'm meeting all the FLW clubs. There's huge excitement um, about the Irish players as a whole all the time. But I suppose the, the success... And the immediate impact of the likes of Vicky that you just mentioned has really um, made the club sit up and take notice. Like if you take it that Vicky, even though she was contracted to North, didn't head out until after the All-Ireland final when Meath won and got here one week before the practice round. So effectively missed all of pre-season and then was straight into the team in round one and has made a huge impact across the season, you know. Um, scoring six goals in her in her first, so yeah, she's made a, a, a massive impact, and and that certainly um, created uh, more of an interest uh, amongst the clubs. Obviously, a lot of the clubs have been working with the Irish players for a number of years, 
uh, some of the clubs don't have any Irish players yet and, and they're now uh, definitely looking at taking players for next season. Has there been a pushback or tension with the GAA over this because no county wants to lose their star player? I suppose this season um, was the first time that there was a bit of a clash. Like prior to now, uh, seasons one to six, there was a bit of a happy marriage where the AFLW season ran for six months and then the, the players were able to come back and generally play in championship here at home for the other six months and it tend to work out. But the, with the change in date this year for season seven, which actually saw two seasons in one year, so so fair play to Breed and Ash. I don't know how they've done it um, to, to get through this year, but this is the first time now that there's actually a clash. So your AFLW preseason, which generally runs June, July, um, will clash directly with the championship here at home. So there hasn't been a huge pushback yet because I suppose it's, it's been the first time it's happened. And in the majority of the cases of the players that went over this year, uh, again, like Vicky and Orla and Blahin Mackin, they were um, able to finish their championship with their counties here at home. So it will probably definitely become more a point of discussion heading into next season as to whether the girls actually play with their counties when they come back or play in the league or play in the championship or stay and go out late again. So that will all be very much on a, a player by player and a club by club basis, I'd imagine. But possibly will become more of a point of discussion in season 2023 for definite. And have you had any discussions or approaches or communication with the LGFA, for example, over this? Yeah, look, we uh, I suppose have kept in touch across the last number of years and there hasn't been any uh, major discussions at any formal level, but um, um, I'm due to have a chat with them when I get back um, to Ireland across the next couple of months or two just to kind of see where it's all at and just keep up to date on, on what's happening and even just the logistics of people understanding um, the new dates and, and the extended seasons and obviously the the seasons are going to become longer and longer in AFLW now. Um, we had 18 teams this year after the expansion, so that's the first time that's happened. It was uh, historic to have all clubs with an AFLW team, um, and the, the girls would have played 10 rounds in the home and away season and four rounds of finals next year. While it's all to be absolutely confirmed for definite, it looks like it'll be 12 rounds plus finals, then 14 rounds plus finals, and somewhere around season 25-26, it's likely to be full-time professional playing all 18 teams and more aligned with the, the men's AFL competition, I suppose, that people would be familiar with. Ashleen, uh, Breed was speaking about time there and the time she has now to, to train and to recover playing for the Greater Western Sydney Giants. Um, you have the lure of the community back home. You have living locally in Ireland. You've been loyal to one's county. But can Gaelic football as an amateur sport realistically compete with a professional environment? And obviously you've seen both now. Um, yeah, obviously, when I was at home, um, I graduated as physio from UL in 2018. So um, that's also an important part, um, that profession too. So I would have worked as a physio nine to five, Monday to Friday, and gone to tip training afterwards or, you know, done your gym session before heading to work and trying to squeeze in a recovery session. But as Bree um, alerts you, like just having the time here, you wake up on a Sunday after um, a game and you just have all morning to, you know, get the right food in, um, go do your recovery, if it's go for a swim or even meet up with your teammates at the beach and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it's that time piece that you definitely don't have when you play Gaelic football. And sometimes it's actually nice to have that balance. Um, that's what I did find a bit difficult at times where you're thrown in and over here football at the start anyway was everything to me and then I got injured um, the last couple of seasons so I think I found that difficult but I think I'm trying to find that balance of you know having a circle away from football Um, I'm doing a little bit of work in the community department for West Coast as well Um, and then obviously football is my number one but I just trying to strike that balance whereas um, I think when you're at home playing football you're kind of given that balance straight away because you're either studying, you're in school, or you have a career outside of footy. So it's not all-consuming, which I think um, is one of the most difficult things when you're over here. But I think it definitely helps with performance, um, injury prevention, all of that, that we have the time you know, to recover, make ourselves better, get our gym sessions in and get um, feedback from our coaches, um, which is a little bit more difficult when you're playing amateur sport. Can you see, Breed, the natural conflict that could emerge in the next few years between a AFL game that's growing for women and providing more and more opportunities and the 
I suppose attributes that Irish players would have in terms of fielding and having a Gaelic football background and then the demands and the aspirations of a county to reach the All-Ireland final to win as you have done can you see the tension can you see the friction coming more and more prominent in, in the next few years or do you think they can coexist peacefully and you can have um, people realise their dreams to become pros yeah, and I suppose, look, as Mike said earlier, you know, it was a very happy marriage up to this year. Um, the change of season is definitely going to bring a lot of tension, um, I think. Um, you know, while the girls were afforded um, uh, were afforded kind of that um, bit of flexibility this year, you know, who's to say that clubs are not going to say, we need you for a full pre-season, um, you know, uh, next season? Um and if the if players are you know under contract to come over for full pre seasons, you know that means that they're over start of June. So effectively, a player might only be available for league. Even at that, um, you know, maybe pushed by clubs over to, um, I suppose that you're under contract. Um, so like, while it was very happy marriage up to now, there's a lot more, um, I suppose things at play that come into the coming season. But you can see why. Um, Australian clubs are coming looking for the Irish um, you know the girls that came over on probably limited pre-seasons this year this season um, and the girls obviously that have come um, you know since Cora started back in 2017 um, you know they're coming over they're ready-made athletes they already have a lot of load through their body they probably have um, you know hundreds of games under their belt which I suppose the Aussies you know, don't have yet or, you know, a lot of the young girls coming on board, um, you know, while they would have come through academies, uh, you know, academies, I suppose, generally aren't massively competitive, um, you know, in terms of the games that they play. So the Irish bring that massive competitive nature. Um, they are possibly a lot of the girls that are coming over are already leaders. They have been leaders on their team at home and now coming over and exhibiting i suppose the hard work ethic that the irish do bring so you can see why the aussies are looking um you know to to bring the irish over and unfortunately for the lgfa it means that you know there are some star players that are are getting looked at um but then i suppose you know on the other side of things there are a good couple of girls that are playing over here that you know i suppose had kind of parked their county career so um you know, I suppose, look, it just comes down to the player. And and I suppose I, I'm probably very thankful that I, I did have my county career because I, I couldn't imagine, you know, the headache that it must be for the girls at the moment trying to decide between county and pride of place. And I suppose this idea of a, of a professional lifestyle and, and all the opportunities that that brings. It is a headache for a young person in their early 20s, isn't it, Breed? I wonder, is there a guilt aspect to this? Is guilt too strong a word, I wonder? Um, yeah, I, I, I can imagine. I, I remember um, I, I read something that Vicky wrote there like not too long ago and she said, you know, she was getting up in the middle of the night watching uh, Dunboyne play, um, you know, as they approached, in, they were in the in the Leinster series, I think, with the club. And I suppose, look, that, you know, there's always going to be that massive pull. And um, I think it's things like that and big events at home that you really uh, you do feel a million miles away from home when, when there are big events at home and especially I suppose like girls that you've grown up playing with uh, when it comes to club um, girls that you've soldiered with probably for years when it comes to county um, so yeah look there is obviously that um, I would say probably just yeah there there can be a bit of loneliness over here like it's obviously wonderful but you obviously have those uh, big events at home that seem uh, magnified when uh, you're this far away from home certainly uh, Do you feel that pull Ashling? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, when I was over here the past years watching um, Tip in the league, I suppose they got the opportunity to play Division 1 league, which I never got to do. And um, I think it was in Porky Creeve one night that they beat Cork. And I just remember feeling so homesick because like that was such a big thing for us um, to do. And then they went on to draw with, with Dublin one the league as well. And it's just those times, sometimes you're kind of stuck between watching the game and wishing you were there or do you just turn off your phone and pretend it's not happening kind of a thing. Um, so it definitely is tough, but I had a really honest conversation with Peter Creedon, um, the current tip manager, probably maybe yeah eight months ago or so. I had a broken wrist. Um, I had all my surgeon appointments and stuff here and I just said look I've only played three games of AFLW this season and I just think I'll regret it if I don't give it 
a hundred percent um good go and I'm gonna stay here in the off season and work really hard and um you know I think if I went home and gave up Australia it would be something I'd regret and um, Peter understood that and I think you know he has Marie Creed and a young daughter similar age to me too so um I think you know he understood where I was coming from and just the life opportunity as well but um I do hope that at some point I can get home and play with Tip but at the minute I think I just need to see where I can get to in the AFLW and um, we have a great young side at West Coast Eagles and I'm part of the leadership group so I hope to kind of bring them to better places and hopefully leave that jersey in a better place but yeah I don't really know I I don't see myself that my career is over in tip and I hope that hopefully someday I'll get back there but I think at the minute I can only concentrate on one and um, I just think the demands and the contracts that Breed spoke about as well are just um, too much at the minute like you're contracted basically for the whole year and um, it's yeah I just don't have that privilege at the minute to go home and put on the tip jersey but um, hopefully yeah it's not the end of it because there's that pull there definitely. Is there a strong Irish community in Perth where you're based at the moment Ashley? Yeah I suppose um, with the AFLW I had Nathan Grace Kelly um, from Mayo on my team for the last couple of seasons and um, they transferred this year but just even I was living with them for a couple of years and that was great just to get home and feel like you could be sitting at home in a living room um in Ireland always a nice feeling and um then this year one of my really good friends that I met outside of footy Amy Mulholland um got drafted by Frio and then you obviously have Anya Tig and Oral Lally as well so it's really good to have that support network and I think as well in the off season when I stayed like I met a lot of Irish people through even just the Gaelic teams out here and I have a really important um, strong group of friends now um, that are nothing to do with AFLW which is always just a nice thing to be able to switch off and um, you know meet up with them and just have a bit of crack in that so um, yeah I think there's a strong um, Irish community in Perth and I think all over Australia even just with AFLW girls we always like seeing each other do well and just meeting each other after games and stuff like that and I think everyone's um, you know, doing Ireland really proud in the AFLW and it's really good to see. And as well in Sydney, the other side of Australia, Bridge, you got a good expat community there? Um, yeah, sure, of course there is. Um, and I suppose the last uh, couple of seasons, definitely you, um, a lot more people that you would know from home come out of the woodwork and you get a lot more, uh, I suppose, messages on, on Facebook or WhatsApp saying, look, you're around, we'd love to catch up. And, you know, these might be players or people that you haven't seen for, for years that could be from your home village or, or, you know, know a friend of a friend. And, and I suppose that's the way that the Irish are over here. They do reach out and they do kind of look out for each other. Um, and I'll actually go back like to my very first, um, when we got out of quarantine, um, the very first year that we came over, uh, we actually had, all had to quarantine together in Perth. Um, and when I, myself, Cara and Ogie got out of uh, quarantine, it was actually Christmas Day. We all got released on Christmas Day and we had absolutely nowhere to go. Um, and I remember a fella um, that I met on uh, a trip with the Asian Games, uh, you know, like um, Alan, Alan Burks' name. Uh, he's a Mayo man and he got on contact with me and he was like, I hear you're all out of quarantine. Do you want to come for Christmas Day dinner? And he, himself and his family, you know, invited myself, Cora and Ogie. I had met the man once uh, for one week over, you know, in Bangkok somewhere like, you know, and we like hit it off and we're great buddies. But for him to to do that, you know, the Irish are just incredible and look after each other so much. And, you know, we spent that evening with a fabulous Irish dinner, like a heaped plate of of lovely turkey and ham dinner. And uh, like Ogie um, playing with uh, his his kids toys and, you know, they even got him something small like it's just incredible like um so yeah it's just i suppose the irish understand the enormity of how far away you are from home um so it's just something i suppose that the irish really do look out for each other when you are this far away the power of the ga breed but also the power of humanity yeah that's it exactly and um i suppose look that's i suppose that is the key thing like uh, the Irish, as I said, look, I just think they understand the enormity of how far away you are, that you're without your support system. You're without probably people that understand fully like the the Aussie girls are so lovely, so sound, so easygoing and everything. But they probably don't understand, 
you know, how far we are from home and probably the draws and uh, like, you know, we were speaking about earlier, maybe the small bit of guilt or whatever like that, you know. Um, and for me, certainly, um, I suppose having a, a young family here, it was very, very difficult at times not having that support network. So um, I suppose the Irish here are just uh, invaluable in that sense. We have to take a break. Breach stack. Mike Curran and Ashley McCarthy on the Saturday panel on Australian Rules. The grand final is tomorrow. We're back after the news. This is part two of the Saturday panel. The focus this week on Australian rules football. The women's showpiece is between Brisbane Lions and Melbourne in the early hours of tomorrow morning. There is Irish involvement. Tipperary's Orla Dwyer lining out for Brisbane. Melbourne have got Dublin Sinead Goldrick and Armaz Blahin Mackin in their ranks. We're chatting to Breed Stack, former All-Ireland winner with Cork and current player with the Greater Western Sydney Giants. Ashley McCarthy, former Tipperary GA player who's now with the West Coast Eagles and Mike Coran, an AFLW skills coach and coordinator. And Mike, the game itself, the skills of the game, because you've been involved in this for two decades, what skills need to be mastered in transitioning, say, from a round ball to an oval ball? In terms of traditioning straight across, I suppose, at the most basic level, it's just adjusting to the kick of the of the oval ball or the shirt, because it's obviously it's a different shape and there's a, a particular technique that you have to try and master. So, like, the basic skills are there with all the players already. Like, they have a kick, they have a catch, they have a handball. Uh, so it's just to, to try and tweak those skills to align with the oval footy. And that probably isn't even the, the most difficult part of transitioning to the game, as I, I'm sure the girls might agree. It's more so in terms of just getting up to speed with the rules of the game and the structures and the setups, because um, even though it's 16 players on a field thing against 16 players, it's it's very much a different game to, to Gaelic football. But the one thing that stands out across the board, and I suppose it's the reason that the AFLW clubs um, keep coming back to Ireland, is that those basic skills are there and they transition across very well to the field. It's just getting the game, the, the players up to speed with the game and the rules and the structures as quick as possible. And the other thing that transitions across without question, and it's slightly different, but it's just the competitiveness of the players and the elite level of fitness um, that they operate at. You know, the, they're, they're generally coming into the teams in Australia at the top end of the elite performance in, in terms of their running ability and their endurance and all of that. So, and across the board, the clubs will tell me on a weekly basis that the Irish players drive the culture and the team and the standards of training and the competitive, competitiveness. And that's a huge advantage and a benefit as well. Ashleen, uh, how long did it take you to get your head around the Sharon, as they call it, the ball? And also how physical is the game down there? Um, yeah, so I would have done like a few sessions beforehand, but I was drafted, so I didn't really know if I was going to get picked up at all. So I was probably thrown in the deep end a little bit. But um, yeah, obviously the eyes of coaches and um, just practicing and having the footy in your hand as many times as you can and just doing as much extra touch in that. Um, you do get used to it, but it's still quite unpredictable. Obviously the bounce and different things like that that you're never going to really get used to. Um, and then, yeah, the second part, the physicality is something that allows us to bring out our competitiveness I think and you know you just put your head over the footy and um, for me it's just kind of see football get football that's the mentality that I go in with but it's definitely like a 360 game and you can get tackled from all angles and you have a lot less time on the ball um, than what, compared to Gaelic football um, so that is difficult and often it, you know you look like you might kick it on because um, you think you're under pressure and you look back at your vision and you had a lot more time um, than you think but uh, I think you know I a lot of the Irish players um, it brings out their competitiveness and we're actually kind of built for it and it's something that we're probably not allowed to do a lot in our Gaelic game so um, I think we do enjoy it um, uh, when we're able to do it and play in AFL You need a lot of spatial awareness don't you as Ashley is saying there Breed because this is an oval you're playing in it's not like a rectangular pitch it's an oval that you're you're having to try and get points out of yeah, it is. Uh, now, to be fair, Ash should probably attest uh, the pitch isn't the big, <laughs> isn't the big um, thing that uh, you'd be focusing on. Um, I suppose look, while yeah, a lot of them are fine, big, um, expensive grounds. Um, as Ashing said, it's the. I suppose it's the contact and I suppose certainly, you know, any Irish player coming over would, would have to be comfortable with contact because, um, as Ash said, it's a 360 game. And I suppose, you know, in GA, um, you know, 
I suppose I came over and probably was a small bit institutionalized from our, our game at home. Um, you kind of, the first the first couple of sessions, I remember like getting the ball, looking up, trying to pick out this perfect pass and you just do not have the time to do that. And I suppose the importance of voice in, in this game, like, you know, it's, it's very loud. If you come to any AFLW game, it's very, very loud. There's constant talk because the players need it. They need, um, I suppose, an indication of how much time they have on the ball. Um, and I know for for me as a defender, um, I remember watching the game, I suppose, before I came over and, you know, looking at it in all honesty, looking at it going, geez, this is a bit agricultural. Like, you know, they're just booting ball away um, for no reason. But I think until you play it, you don't appreciate um, just what, I suppose, just the pressure that comes on and and how much the contact affects your decision-making capabilities. Um, and yeah, look, as a defender, it's a case of, get ball out of danger a small little bit um, because you certainly don't want to be the defender that gets caught in possession because if you get caught in possession in this game, you know, you're automatically gifting a free kick, which is probably inside a 50 metre area, which is probably kickable. So, you know, um, I suppose defensive structure is massive um, and that's something that I probably had to learn a lot more um, than coming from our game, something that we did so naturally, but it's it's the 360, as Ashing said, like, you know, in GA, you're, not, you're never too worried about the person that's coming up behind you because you know that you're not going to get kind of tackled into the back or, t- you know, tackled from behind. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely your spatial awareness needs to be fairly much on point. Yeah, I'm institutionalised myself. I'm talking about points. Obviously, it's goals <laughs> and behinds, isn't it, uh, folks? Yeah. Um, a bit rusty. I used to watch Carlton when I was younger. Uh, Ashley, then, you know the game of the, the most enjoyable game that you've had then, whether it was the Bulldogs or the West Coast Eagles, was it kicking goals? Was it fielding? Was it defence? What, what have you been most happy with in your own performances in this new sport? Um, well, for me personally, I play as an inside mid. So um, we're kind of the players around um, the taller players. They tap it down and it's basically a dog fight to get the ball. So um, I just think when you get your hands that first possession and get it going for your team, um, it's often a territory game as Breed spoke about. So um, when you're watching it, a lot of the skills that I would have learned um, from Gaelic football and kind of picking out those passes and um, go out the window a little bit and you're just trying to get the ball forward for your team. But um, yeah, some of my most enjoyable games um, were probably just um, the camaraderie you felt on the field, everyone coming together, um, working for each other and um, getting the win. I think um, especially across my career, I haven't won that many games. Um, so when we, when we do win, um, that feeling is really special and, uh, it's just a totally different culture. We nearly celebrate it like we win in All Ireland. Um, compared to at home when you're playing Gaelic, like you just, you know, it's like next game, and you don't really celebrate those um, smaller wins. But I think over here, um, for us anyway, sometimes that opportunity doesn't come around too often, and we're trying to get away from that culture where it's not such a big deal to win. But I do think that we definitely celebrate the small things, which um, which is nice and. And we had a couple of wins this year on the road as well, which was um, really good for a young team to build. But um, yeah, I just enjoy my football when I'm bringing out my competitiveness and um, just doing little things for for the team, even if it's not me touching the ball, but if it's kind of blocking an opposition so that my teammate does have that couple of extra seconds to, to get a good pass away. Um, they're kind of the highlights that stand out to me anyway. Breed, you spoke there about talk on the pitch and a lot of uh, verbal communication. Is there much talk with the opposition? Is there much back chat? Um, as in sledging? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, like I probably haven't come across too much of it. Um, I, I can imagine there's probably very, very um, super rivalries, you know, going on between uh, teams that have played each other for seven seasons or, you know, because the nature of the game, because there is movement in players, um, you know, because you could have a star player in one team and then the next season they move to the, they move to a rival team or they they move to, a t- uh, you know, a team where, I suppose it, it might be seen as uh, not a great move for them. Um, you know, that obviously that obviously all brings uh, its own probably uh, internal kind of rivalries, and um, I've no doubt that it it does probably go ahead, but not to a massive extent, not to. Um, I suppose a really detrimental extent um, that I have found anyway. Um, but yeah, the chat was probably something that I really had to had to try to get used to because um, 
I suppose when you play with a group of girls for such a long, long period of time, as I had the, um, you know, as I had, um, you know, the chance to with Cork, there's very, very little movement. There's probably your, your, you know, your, your, your 15, your 17 are probably fairly set. And then like, you know, you'll have your, your new players that come onto the panel. And um, I suppose like it is at home, you'll, kind of earn your thoughts you might have to sit sit on the bench for a while and you'll get your shot and you know you'll get in but you know in general at home I suppose teams are fairly set um, and that's what I found I suppose with Cork so then to come over to Australia and um, sorry my, my reason of saying that is we actually probably did, weren't a very loud team with Cork um, because we knew each other so well that I, I knew what Breach Cork was going to do before she probably knew herself we were so used to playing with each other that we actually didn't need to communicate a massive amount um if you understand what I mean. Yes. Whereas over here, um, or over in Australia, it is constant, constant, constant communication. And, uh, you know, the communication is even just to get people into games. It's to, you know, make sure everyone is concentrating and switched on because, um, as Ashley said, like the ball can the ball can change direction. It can bounce in a different direction. You're constantly having to be on your toes and constantly concentrating. So that level of high chat, um, I suppose, was something that I definitely was like, whoa, like there's three or four people roaring at me like nonstop. And um, I suppose, you know, you kind of have to just get used to it and kind of say, right, like I, I know myself where dangerous spaces are, you know, who's actually best person to listen to in this scenario. So um, that was probably one side of things. But the sledging, thankfully, I haven't um, experienced too much of it so I'm, yeah. I'm okay in that assist. important of a thick skin isn't it Bree Stack uh, Ashley McCarthy and Mike Horan we're speaking to all of them about the Australian rules uh, final this weekend for women Brisbane against Melbourne um, Mike obviously you're a, a point person a link person you develop skills and you work on Irish players skills when they're when they're in Ireland would it be um, t- too far to say that you're doing any kind of scouting for Australian teams to maybe entice players down under or is that not your role? Oh, to be fair, I suppose that that is part of my role. Like I did scout the five players that went over last year, so like that's part of it as well. So there would be a combination of me helping players that want to go over, but due to the success of the girls across the last couple of seasons, now there will be a lot more Irish girls here who will be getting in direct contact with me, asking how they can have a look at AFLW or how they can get themselves in front of the clubs and that. But um, as well as I suppose, yeah, there'd be a talent ID element to it uh, for definite and. Um, this year, I suppose, was the high point of that with the five girls going over. But um, next year, there'll, there'll certainly be more as well. And I'd be working with all the clubs on an ongoing basis in relation to that. And I'd be meeting with them all while I'm over here to catch the finals as well at the moment. And would you be dealing with contracts or like liaising with uh, telling, uh, you know, pr- prospective players who you need to speak to at each club and to get all the legals right and to ensure that they're well set up when they arrive down there? Oh, absolutely. I'll be, I'll be assisting with every step of the way. So from, from an initial discussion with a player who says they're interested, if I've gone to them or they've come to me, they're obviously interested. What we do then is we do a number of things. We get a player profile together. We get uh, highlights videos together. I meet them and have a kick with the Sharon and we get skills vision together with the Oz Rules footy. And I would then send that on to the context of all the clubs and the clubs will say they want to talk to one, two, three players. And then I'll set up Zoom uh, calls or meetings, initial meetings and intros with the clubs. And it generally rolls on from there. Um, if all parties are happy, they'll go to a second meeting, a third meeting. And that can vary in terms of time from for anything from a period of a few months to a, fear, a period of a few years. You know, um, uh, some players' journeys take longer than others to actually get to Australia for various reasons, be that they're finishing uni or they're in a professional um, situation that they have to finish out a work contract. And then uh, right up to the players being offered their contracts and agreeing and going over and then from that point on it, it becomes almost uh, obviously assisting the players to get to Australia but it becomes more coaching from that point then where I'll work with the coaches at each of the clubs who will want to do specific work with the players that are coming but in general terms it will be the same across the board it'll be just working on the basics getting those basic skills uh, some time spent on those before the players actually arrive down in Australia where obviously it, um, the intensity will increase a thousand percent once they land in Australia, generally straight from the airplane to to the oval in most cases. Um, But yeah, I'd be assisting the players from the very first conversation about uh, AFLW right up to them arriving at their club in Australia. The GA, Michael, have their own uh, agenda, their own 
desires in terms of their own players and retaining their players and, and having their own uh, whether it's club or whether it's county having their own players playing Gaelic football at the, at the ladies level it's an amateur sport it's a different sport does, this thing I talked about the push and the pull and the guilt does that come into your mind at all when you're talking about the GA and the AFLW or do you just see that I've got a job to do here and I'm going to do my job well, I don't see it as that. I don't see it as as a conflict. I suppose from my point of view, genuinely, I'm just seeing these players getting huge opportunities, like life-changing opportunities to go to the other side of the world, live a lifestyle. But the most important thing across the board from every one of the 28 players that have gone over, and, and I'm sure Breed and Ash will agree that the main thing is the players um, want to be able to say that they they play professionally or they enjoy that environment where they can play sport, they can recover on their off days, they're not working they're getting reasonably compensated and that's getting better year by year. Obviously, Breed mentioned the, the CBA this year, doubling salaries. That's going to increase again across the next number of years and, and it becomes more uh, feasible as a career choice for players. Uh, obviously, some of the players will work at the clubs and will try to develop their own personal careers as well as, as that. But really, it's just like it's providing opportunities for players. And I suppose when you see some of the... The scenarios here at home, then, like the likes of the recent um, Gaelic Players Association survey that showed how much it costs your average LGFA player to to play, uh, how much it costs them not to mind getting anything covered in terms of expenses and that. That really is the what comes into stark contrast. Then, when the players go to Australia, and not only are they getting paid and and getting contracts that are get, getting better and better, but they have every single thing they need provided for. Uh, again, I'm sure the girls agree in terms of the facilities the support staff, the medical, the gym, you know, everything is generally under one roof and all they have to do is focus on on playing sport. And depending on what part of Australia they're in, they might get a, a few months of summer as well and a few months of sun. But um, generally, yeah, it's a, a, it has been and is a hugely positive experience for every player that goes over. And uh, in my view, some of the players, when they come back for the players that have finished or just done a season or two, they come back as better athletes better people they've they've developed in a professional environment for a number of years and that's a, a positive that they're bringing back and, and they translate some of that through to their training sessions then and, and their teams when they go back and play with their counties or clubs Ashleen did anything with the LGFA I, I think things have improved in the last few years there were a couple of high profile incidents remember Galway had a, a real raw deal around an All-Ireland uh, situation when they had to move to, to Croke Park quite quickly but um, they're into the GPA now uh, the women uh, w- with the men they're all kind of unified there seems to be a bit more respect shown to ladies Gaelic footballers but did you feel there was an environment where there's a huge disparity between what you experienced as a Tipperary player and the opportunities that were available to you in Australia uh, that made it, your decision easier to go down under? Um, I guess now with the new CBA, definitely I'm in a better position to be here in Australia than I suppose if I was back home. But like I'm not going to lie, when I got drafted in 2018, uh, I think the Tier 4, which is now equivalent to 40,000 here, was 12,000 at the time. Um, so when I look back at my first year in Australia and I had you know, visa restrictions where I couldn't work, um, I had my health insurance to pay every month. I had all these little costs that I probably wasn't ready for. But I think um, now with the new CBA and the conditions that we have here in the AFOW, like your minimum pay is um, 40,000 and Irish players will get um, relocation top of that as well in your flight. So I think players coming out now are definitely in a far better position. But if I was to look back then, like working as a physio at home um, and playing for tip, I probably would have been financially in a better position to play Gaelic. But obviously, I just wanted to experience a professional setup, um, experience a new sport. I had the um, opportunity to play both at the time. Um, so I spent six months in Australia, six months at home. So um, I think I got the best of both worlds um, then. But right now, I think with the conditions... Um, getting way better out here um, it's you know becoming more full-time um, I think the new girls that come out don't have as much I suppose worries as potentially I looking back I don't really know how I did it um, but I think the opportunity just to grow as a person um, and travel as well was something that I couldn't let go of either I hadn't ever gone on a J1 or done any of those kind of normal things you do because you're at home um, playing Gaelic which I obviously wanted to do, but then the opportunity to marry both sport and travel 
was something that I couldn't really say no to either. So yes. I think right now people are in better position. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to lie, it was definitely difficult at the start of my AFW career. You talk about a minimum of 40,000. What's the maximum, do you know? Um, I think at tier one is around 70. But right. uh, you can get um, extra money as well for like appearances and stuff like that. But I think only like two players in every club can kind of get a, a lot of that. Um, and then, you know, you might work for the club or get other opportunities because you have a bigger name. I know a lot of the, the players might do some media things and stuff like that outside of um, the AFLW contract. So you obviously get a lot of opportunities and the better you play and at the W Awards at, during the week, people that win the best and fairest and all stars and things like that will obviously get more opportunities away from their contracts. But um, yeah, I think when I came out at first, the top paid players might've been on like 36 or 40,000 and now that's the minimum pay. Um, so, you know, it's definitely going in the right direction. Breed, uh, I don't know if you're going to return to Ireland, but if you do, uh, and if you are at the moment, would you have a message for the LDFA? Like they're an amateur organisation. I think, as I said, things are better now than they were a few years ago. But is, is, there, is there something that we can, uh, you can say to the people back here in terms of making life easier for people who have got to have full-time jobs and they love what they do, obviously, but they've got to play for their club, play for their county, and there's a huge demand on them? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I actually am. I am at home in Ireland. Um, yeah. I'd say I come home there for a family wedding. So, uh, Ashling, we had hailstone here yesterday, just in case you wanted to know. <laughs> I know you were saying you, you were in 33 degrees heat there, so just in case you're a bit lonely for that, you know. Um, I suppose, look, it's um, coming from where I suppose I started with Gaelic football, I can see massive, massive improvements, massive leaps and bounds. Like even in just a short 10 years, I think what the LGFA has done is absolutely incredible and um, securing massive sponsorships um, you know, making players, I suppose, players are household names and, you know, you go down streets, there's players on billboards, there's massive campaigns and I do think all that is going in the right direction. Um, I suppose what I've seen over in Australia is just how uh progressive something can be when it's all under the one umbrella and uh i suppose the aflw is under the afl because it is under the afl uh obviously it holds a lot more weight when it comes to the cba um which we saw as ash was saying a massive 94 um percent increase in in wages and standards and things like that um you have ready access to every single resource that um, are probably also available to the men in the AFL. So like this is now, you know, possibly, possibly the most, you know, um, professional and um, I suppose money driven sport in Australia. And the women, the AFL um, women's are playing on the MCG, just like the men are playing on the MCG. Like it's just, I suppose, having um, or being under the one umbrella, just the resources, the money, the opportunities that are afforded to you. That is something that I would really, really love to see happening here in Ireland. Um, I think it can only improve the LGFA. I obviously know the headache and the heartache that it would cause them because the LGFA has been a standalone organisation, has been so self-sufficient, has done so much to raise the profile of the game by itself. But I think there comes a time then when you have to make that step. And uh, I suppose if you want to further the game and you want to have ready access to resources, facilities, pitches, um, I suppose, uh, opportunities, um, I do think it's a natural progression. Just in terms of the match then, folks, Brisbane against Melbourne in the early hours of the morning, 3.40 start Irish time on Sunday morning. Mike, I believe you've been down at the Melbourne uh, training session this week. We've got Sinead Goldrick of Dublin and Blaheen Mackin of Armagh. What can they bring to tomorrow's final against Brisbane, Mike? Look, it's going to be an absolute cracker of a final. Without question, the two best teams in the competition this year have made it into the grand final. In the regular home and away season, they were split by only 0.3 of a percent. It couldn't have been closer Brisbane won the minor premiership if if Melbourne had scored one more point in their round 10 game. I think that might have been against the Eagles, Ash, actually. They would have been the minor premiers. <laughs> that, that's how tight it was. But um, yeah, look, it's absolutely fantastic. I think there's a bit of a hype. The game is up in Brisbane. They're going to a brand new stadium up there. Um, it's at a drastically reduced um, attendance because of that. But there's a big hype up there. They're going in a slight favourites. I, I was out at the training with Melbourne Thursday evening and they're absolutely buzzing. Like they're, they're loving that 
slightly a slight underdog tag because they don't feel that they should be and I don't feel they should be either so if Melbourne play to their game plan and, and execute it across four quarters there's every chance this game could go either way but yeah look I suppose the story of the game is three Irish players involved there's definitely a medal coming back to Ireland it'll either be a second premiership medal for Orr Dwyer for Brisbane Lions or it'll be a first medal and a deserved one for Sinead Goldick she was one of the best players in last year's grand final which Melbourne lost and or a first uh, medal for Blind Mackin in her debut season which would be absolutely fairytale stuff she's only played nine games the grand final will be her tenth game um, her family are after heading over yesterday they'll be up in Brisbane as well so a huge occasion yeah but um, both Goldie and Blind are contributing hugely to the Melbourne team albeit um, vast differences in experience you know Sinead's been there for four seasons has played four, or 30 games Blind in her first season and on the flip side of course Orla Dwyer is one of, the, one of the best players in the competition not to mind the Brisbane Lions winning a, an All-Australian last year and becoming the first Irish player ever to win an All-Australian since Jimmy Steins back in 1993. So she's a phenomenal athlete. She has her premiership medal already. Will she get a second one? There's there's every chance. But I think this one could go either way. And if both teams play to their their potential, it should be an absolute belter up in Brisbane on Sunday. And I'm personally looking forward to heading up and seeing the game there live. And I'm sure you're on Orla Dwyer's side. Are you, Ashley, as a Tipperary native? Um, Obviously, yeah, it's great to see Orla, one of my teammates, do so well. But... Um, to be honest, when you're out here, you just want to see all the, the Irish do really well. And, um, you know, even to see how much um, Blohin's after grown in the last few games. Like, I think I saw one of her highlights clips for the game she played the last two weeks. And, like, she's playing excellently. And Goldie, I think, is one of the most underrated players um, over here. She often does a job on the opposition's best forwards and, you know, has that run off half back. And then, yeah, Orla, obviously up and down that wing so yeah I, I don't know I'm probably going to give the same answer as uh, Mike that don't know who's going to win but yeah. uh, I think if Brisbane kind of um, open up the scoreline early they often seem to pull away so I think it will be important for Melbourne just to um, make sure that they're in the game um, long enough anyway but I think they definitely will be there they're good enough to be and yeah the two best teams in the competition yes. going at it in the final day Breeze quickly how'd you call it? Uh, yeah, um, same as Les, I suppose. We played Brisbane this year, so we were on the receiving end of, um, I suppose we stuck with them for two full quarters, but then Brisbane being Brisbane are just um, an absolute elite team. Um, I suppose the significant thing this year is how similar the two teams are. Um, they both play a very expansive, very uh, fast running game, and I think it's the team that can negate the space of the other team that's that's going to come out on top. Um I think uh, Melbourne will have learned a lot from last year's grand final defeat. Um, even just, I suppose, you know, getting used to the build up of of a grand final, okay. getting what what the week looks like, everything like that. But um, for me, I'm still going to probably tip Brisbane. Um, I just think they have that winning mentality on on big game day. Um, I just think they have uh, most balanced team and uh, yeah, I suppose being on the receiving end of them this year, um, I definitely think they're a team that can just go all the way. Breach Stack, Ashley McCarthy, Mike Coran, so delighted to have your time today talking about Australian rules and the LGFA and all these things. Brisbane against Melbourne tomorrow. Enjoy the game, folks, and thanks for speaking to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. Thanks for having us. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball.